Hi, I'm Rick Hess, Director of Education Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm Pedro Noguera, Dean of the USC Washington School of Education. Welcome to our podcast, Common Ground, Conversations on Schooling. Two of us often fall on different sides of the big questions in education, but today we're going to talk through some of the educational issues of the day in search for deeper understanding and sometimes common ground. Today, we're going to talk about how schools should teach what happened a year ago on January 6th, Martin Luther King, and uh, and about voting rights, uh, which is, it, it, you know, very much at the center of the national debate right now, uh, as the Biden administration pushes two major voting rights bills in Congress. Pedro, curious uh, where your head's at on these kinds of questions. You know, I'm glad we're going to talk about this because, you know, it, it's still such a shocking event. You know, every time I see the images, it's just hard to believe that these, you know, vigilantes um, thought they could uh, disrupt an election um, and and uh, assaulted the Capitol, some of them with arms. Who knows if they got in their way, could have killed um, the vice president or Nancy Pelosi. This was, you know, I think a really serious event. And and so it's going to be very important, I think, for schools to figure out how to help kids to understand what's going on. What does this mean in a democratic country when people uh, take up arms like this? And then there's the question of the Trump administration's complicity, because, you know, they clearly knew that uh, the Capitol was being assaulted and didn't send reinforcements. Um, certainly not the way they responded to the Black Lives Matters protest a few months before. So, um, you know, I, I think it's really important stuff. And um, I think it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that students should be learning and grappling with in our schools. Yeah, as far as what you just said there, absolutely. I, I, I will, I think, echo all of that. I mean, you know, thousands of people overran the US Capitol in order to try to stop uh, the tallying of electoral votes to select the, the president and the vice president. This was an act to try to subvert uh, the constitutional transfer of power. Um, the, the, the word, the, the phrase insurrection gets thrown around. And I think, you know, there's reasonable debates about whether there was enough planning and enough, you know, to be an insurrection. But in, it, it's certainly clear to me that those doing this intended to subvert the constitutional transfer of power. And that makes it more than just a riot. That makes it more than just shameful. Um, that, may, that makes it an offense against our constitutional order. And as you say, the president was complicit. The president uh, worked to draw, the, to, to, to push the sentiments. He told lies that fueled uh, that, that fueled that rally. Um, he and his spokespeople were dreaming up stratagems uh, in order to try to make use uh, of this of this assault. You know, I think what has come out over the past year through the investigations makes clear that it was absolutely um, understood by the president and, and his aides um, what was happening and what they were doing and lying about the election results. Um, and yeah, I think schools have to, you know, I think there's important questions about how do you contextualize this? How much should, you, you know, what, 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 when should teachers be editorializing or not? But I absolutely think students need to wrestle with this and need to understand the implications of what happened. So th this, for me, raises a, an important question, because, as you know, several states 
um, have adopted uh, legislation saying that you can't teach subjects that will hurt people's feelings. <laughs> uh, most recently, Indiana, uh, where our good friend Tracy went to school. And, um, and you know, I, I find it ironic on the one hand, because not too long ago, conservatives were, uh, were complaining about liberal college students with trigger warnings who didn't want to hear about uh, uh, difficult topics in the class, which I think, I agree actually with a lot of conservatives, that's kind of silly. But the, these laws um, are outrageous when you think about it. I mean, if, if someone's going to be offended, suppose you have a conservative student says, I'm a Trump supporter, I'm offended that we're, we're describing uh, what happened on January 6th as an act of sedition. And I, my feelings are hurt now, and I don't think I should be subjected to this lesson. Um, you know, literally, you could have someone petition to challenge whether it's taught at all. Well, now, there you're going to have to point me, you, will, you know, they'll have to follow this one up offline, um, because I'm not familiar with that particular language. To me, the language generally says uh, that you're not allowed to impute um, a class of individuals. So you can't say that, you, you can't say things that white people are guilty of this or black people or Latino people or rich people or poor, that you're not allowed to um, characterize groups of people in ways that are offensive. And obviously this is directed at kind of the stuff under the umbrella of critical race theory um, in which, with its talk of systems frequently, I think, talks very sweepingly about whole groups of people based on things like pigmentation. Uh, if, there, if there is language, I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. No, no, I think you're right, have, but are right-wing extreme, extremists a class of people? <laughs> no, 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 no. Because uh, well, certainly not in my definition. If you can, and again, if you, we'll have to follow up on this, you know, because if you can point me to laws which characterize it that way, a, a, a loose, I'm with you. That, yeah. No, they, if their feelings get hurt, tough noogies. Uh, but I do think, and this gets us into how we talk about, say, like voting rights also. If anybody's teaching what happened on January 6th last year, which you and I agree was despicable and indefensible, if anybody's teaching it as evidence of the problems with white supremacy in this country, you know, we can talk about white supremacy. Yeah. We can marshal evidence for and against. I don't, you know, you know, I don't believe America is a white supremacist country. Other people can disagree. That's fine. But I think the job of teaching about January 6th needs to be about teaching what happened, why it's co so constitutionally noxious, um, why it's so problematic, what Trump said, what was done or not done, not to tell students the right way to make meaning out. And for me, that's part of the, the, the you know, where I think yeah. sometimes we lose the thread in some of the debates around social studies and civics right now is I think I agree with a lot of my even progressive-minded friends when they're saying we need to raise these questions. I'm like, fine. Where I feel like we start to lose commonality is they frequently, um, my friends on the left in some of these debates seem to think that it's partly the job of teachers, that they think there's a right answer and they want teachers to tell it. And I disagree on the answer. And therefore I'm much less enthused about having teachers tell students an answer, which I think is wrong. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't think it's the job of teachers to teach kids what to think. I think um, a good 
you know, social studies teacher will present the facts and help. And but I think the we have to look at the, the historical origins of this kind of right wing extremism because they didn't just pop out of nowhere. We have a history of that in this country of lynchings and of of right wing movements. Um, so you can't just treat January 6th in a vacuum. Um, but um, I, I would agree with you. It's not a question of simply telling kids what to think. It's kids need to think critically and they need to know how to process information. And I think that's a big part of what civics should do. But, it, but this discussion also raises for me the, the issues around free speech. And we've been grappling with that at USC. Um, we had a, a, a student who um, tweeted a call for, um, uh, you know, kind of death to Zionist. Uh, and and the, the question was raised by um, the Anti-Defamation -Def League and others that the president's response was weak because um, it didn't, you know, on the basis of free speech, no one really questioned, uh, not didn't question, but they denounced anti-Semitism, but they didn't, in my opinion, go strongly enough in denouncing violence. And see, I think when, when threats of violence are issued against a group of people and Zionists are a group of people, they have a right to feel threatened um, and, and I think it's, uh, it's, you know, in a time where we have mass shootings in this country, you can't take this stuff lightly. I, I think that's right. And, and again, I think that's, you know, so when we think about where, where we're standing kind of on common ground on this, um, you know, one, I think, you know, if anybody's feelings are hurt because they liked what happened on January 6th and they don't want to talk about it or they don't want us to teach kids about the ways in which it was an effort to overturn constitutional government, tough. Um, we have to talk just like what we hear when we want to talk about slavery. Um, and and so, that, so I think that's right. Second, I think you're right that there are bright lines. Um, if, I, I, think, I think it's absolutely a bright line that kids need to learn that violence is not the way that we settle disputes in a democratic nation. That is something where I think schools can moralize and should moralize. Um, but I think we need to be consistent. Um, you know, during the protests uh, during the summer of 2020 um, about police conduct, uh, there was, you know, there, there was a lot of violence. There was arson. Uh, there, there, were, there were shootings. And at that time, I remember NPR, um, somebody had written a book about how looting is not actually a crime. It's just a liberation by the impoverished. And, and, and there was a lot of, well, you know, laws can't be taken so strictly, they're a manifestation. Of, and I think what we need to do is make sure that we're going to be intellectually consistent and principled. If we believe that violence against people is bad, that theft of property is bad, I hope we do. Um, I, I'm willing to teach it. And that's absolutely inexcusable that, you know, and it's inexcusable to violate these basic norms of civil society but we need to make sure that that's part and parcel of the conversation. So when we talk about um, right-wing violence, absolutely fair to talk about lynching and whatnot, and whether or not that's actually from the same roots. Um, but also let's talk about the Weathermen and the Black Panthers and acts of violence on the left, um, you know, including the anar anarchists and the Wobblies and the IWW. Um, over time, when we think about Antifa and, and this stuff. And so... You know, it seems to me that the answer is not to to avoid these subjects, but when you you know when when the AFT organizes marches to say we need to teach the whole truth about history, 
Okay, but let's actually do that. Let's not just teach the whole truth about history when it, when you approve of uh, when you approve of the agenda. No, I agree, and I think that um, you know students are better served when they understand the complexity of the issues. You know, I, I know that um, when I was teaching social studies way back, uh, that you know, to me it was interesting to talk about. Okay, how can someone like Thomas Jefferson? be a, an advocate for democracy, write the Declaration of Independence and be a slave owner. Um, how do we reconcile mm -hmm. these two positions? Um, um, the fact that he owned his own children, <laughs> that, he, um, that he fathered with um, an enslaved woman. You know, this to me, you know, I'm not willing to dismiss everything Jefferson ever did, but I, I think we need to interrogate what he did in light of this other information. So this to me um, is an important part of confronting our past uh, and grappling with the implications for our future. And, um, and I think we need to do a better job of that in American schools. Yeah, uh, again, <laughs> you know, it's funny, you know, you and I talk about this, like there's so many, so many places where it seems like even when we disagree about important stuff, we can, you know, that's right. Uh, you know, wh and whether it's Washington or, you know, and this is some of the iconoclasm, the, you know, San Francisco moving to strip Lincoln's name from a school. Like, wait a minute. These are hugely significant, interesting people. Uh, I think Jefferson and Washington and certainly Lincoln undeniably did vastly more good than bad. But look, people can disagree about that. But these are hugely significant people who've made real contributions, just like Martin Luther King in the history of this nation. And the idea that the answer is to avoid their names or strip their names rather than probe. How, I mean, what the heck was the psychology of Jefferson? How do you, you know, how does a man who can write so eloquently about liberty also justify owning slaves? And also, as you point out, the familial ties of owning or selling your own children. Like, how does a human being even reconcile that? Seems like something that high schoolers can and should appropriately be asked to think about and read read the letters. and. That seems to me an education. And frankly, by the you know, we, we mentioned before the uh, like the voting rights conversations that are unfolding right now. You know, I, I mean, one of the things that strikes me is, again, there's this temptation to demonize or to celebrate that you're, you know, that, that, that President Biden is pushing these bills, which I actually think are enormously problematic in the provisions. But look, schools don't have to worry about that. It seems that when we teach about voting rights, you know, Biden gave a fiery speech in Georgia that I found problematic, but schools don't have to worry about that. They can say, all right, what are the provisions of the bill? Uh, here's what the law does on early voting. Here's what it does on voter ID. Here's what it does on the ability to distribute food or drink within 25 feet of the polling. Let's compare that to what laws in other states say, to what laws in other countries say. Let's compare that to so, I mean, it seems to me that there's huge opportunities here to let students make up their own mind about what are these provisions, which, whether they make sense or not, what, what does voter, you know, why does it, why do 80% of Americans, including uh, more than 70% of Black Americans, support voter ID? What's it trying to do? Why do some people find it noxious and anti-democratic? Like, and it seems to me that too many of the materials I, that get shared with me and too much of what I hear feels like teachers feel like teaching about it is teaching students to care about it rather than helping students kind of make sense of all the moving pieces in that debate. 
Yeah, I would agree. Um, as long as we throw in there um, um, the history of denying people to right to vote <laughs> on the mm -hmm. basis of race, which is why we had a Voting Rights Act in the first place, um, especially targeting states like Georgia and Texas, which which participated in making it difficult for black people to vote. So yeah, we have to deal with the facts. We have to get the students to grapple with those facts. Um, and, and I think that that's a, an important role of education um, today. And, um, and not shy away from topics that are controversial or that um, may hurt people's feelings because uh, they present them in a light that is, um, uh, that they might think is not, um, I don't know, uh, admirable. So, you know, you know, in that vein, you know, Martin Luther King's birthday is coming up. And, um, you know, it's interesting because he is the only American uh, who is not a president for, for whom there's a national holiday. Uh, highly significant. Took a while to get every state to adopt it, but every state adopted it as a national holiday. And um, there's a question, you know, because on, on the one hand, I would say that He's kind of been sanitized as a, as, a, as a figure in this country's history, when in fact, you know, um, just before he was murdered, he was about to lead a, um, a strike with sanitation workers in Memphis and a poor people's campaign in Washington, D.C. That would have been highly disruptive. And uh, there was a reason why the FBI was monitoring him, because they saw him as a threat. Um, the fact that we now hold him up and we hold up people like Muhammad Ali, who refused to serve in the armed forces as heroes, um, says a lot about our ability as a, as a nation to uh, change the narrative. Um, but I, I, what, what I get concerned about is sometimes we distort the, the person uh, in so doing and don't fully appreciate who they were and why they were proved to be a threat to the status quo as they were, um, you know, Martin Luther King was not only a threat to the racists in the South, he was a threat to democratic politicians like Lyndon Johnson, who was very much in support of the Vietnam War and who thought that King betrayed him by coming out against it. And again, these are issues I think important for students to understand. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's just an extension of what you were saying about Jefferson, right? There, there There's lines of kings that, you know, those of us on the right love to quote um, about content of our character. And there are lines of kings that are much more economically ambitious as far as like the vision, you know, when it comes to, you know, the poor people's campaign and minimum wage and employee rights and uh, you know, and we should absolutely delve into all this. And those of us on the right uh, should not feel comfortable just embracing uh, the version of King that we find convenient. Um, but my friends on the left need to need to bring that same kind of lens uh, to talking about Jefferson and Washington and other, that, that these are complicated figures. And we need, we, you know, it's worth appreciating them in full even if there's parts that we're going to like and parts that we're not going to like um, about their complicated legacies. Yeah, and, and this to me is, um, you know, a, a real challenge for education today. Um, you know, there's so many challenges <laughs> dealing with masks, dealing with uh, vaccines, staying open during the pandemic, um, uh, keeping teachers. You know, right now, um, a lot of schools across the country, you know, they want to open schools. They can't find teachers to take the jobs anymore. You know, uh, and people are not 
looking at that, you know, we've, we've turned teaching into a undesirable job and, and we act as though just because you call it essential that you can make people do it. Um, and, and that's simply not the case. Um, so there's a lot on the plate of, 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 of schools right now. And it's just a reminder of how critical schools are to how the society functions. They're critical to the economy and they're certainly critical to maintaining uh, a vibrant democracy. Yeah, but, but I, you know, I think in some ways, uh, you know, it, it, because part of this is, is the job, man, you know, is the job manageable for normal human beings or not? And partly what we're talking about, I think, you know, if you're supposed to take a side on these issues, your job is to teach students who was right on January 6th. Well, there's some communities where you know what the right answer is, but there's a lot of communities where there's going to be parents of kids in your classroom who have diametrically opposed feelings. And if the job of teachers is to like give the right answer on these things, we've made it so that every teacher is going to get yelled at every year. And what, what you know, it seems to me an alternative way to do this is say, look, Let's try, and, and this is where it would be great, I think, if the authorities in higher education seemed less interested in the right answer and more interested in helping unpack. It'd be great if, you know, historians in higher ed who are interested in K-12 teaching were building a credible, serious, um, not bipartisan, but nonpartisan um, agendas on, like, Here's a two-day, here's today's a curriculum materials, um, first-person accounts, videos. Um, here's what Trump said, here's what Trump said. Here's a, and let students engage with what happened January 6th in that way. Give them questions about what did how did Trump defend his actions? Why did he say he didn't respond? Um, how much risk do you see to the members of God? Like, let students um understand what happened and you know and let's maybe maybe it's not the job of this i i tend to think that anybody who is immersed uh for a couple of classes and what happened january 6 is going to come away appalled and deeply troubled and, and and seeing how close we came to a cataclysmic constitutional event um i don't think it's necessary for teachers to teach it by telling students this is the right answer Partly because students whose parents see it differently are going to are going to buck and kick anyway. And when it comes to teaching the voting rights or teaching MLK, I think unpacking. Here's what MLK had to say. Here's what he said about economic justice. Here's how he understood it. Here's how uh, you know uh, J. Edgar Hoover justified spying on MLK. Here's what LBJ said um, when. M and, and it seems to me that this actually makes the job of teaching these subjects that you and I love in some ways more manageable because the teacher is not expected to be the arbiter of all right answers. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm with you on this, except that there are some hard lines. You know, um, I, I, it was clear, as you pointed out, that they were uh, ready to perpetrate acts of violence to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. I think calling that out <laughs> um, is important, just as I don't think um, uh, students should be encouraged to debate the merits of um, the Holocaust, right? Um, that there was another side, you know? And I think that, so some of that goes too far. And I think we, there has to be some moral clarity as well. When is uh, violence just out of bounds and, and clearly inappropriate? And I, so 
I, again, I agree with you. It's not about teaching kids what to think. But I, I do worry about moral ambivalence mm -hmm. and kids not getting a clear sense about right and wrong. I, you know, secular, secularism doesn't mean that it's amoral, right? And I think that kids do need to understand there is right and wrong. There are laws in place and people who violate laws, um, even when they feel justified, and, and the truth is Martin Luther King went to, to, uh, was in prison for violating laws. There may have been unjust laws and they may have been enforced um, um, abusively and violently, but he willingly went to prison and his letter from a Birmingham jail, I think is a testimony about that kind of sacrifice that's very important for students to, to read and to understand. So um, I'll, I'll turn it back to you, Rick. Yeah, no, no. Um... Amen. You know, amen. If this is a I, I, I mean, you said that so eloquently, man. That's the question I wrestle with all the time is on the one hand, I worry that we take complicated questions and there's a temptation to turn them into simple normative debates or even worse, simple normative right answers. On the other hand, uh, I could not agree more. I mean, I'm the last guy, you know me. I'm the last guy to believe in uh, ambivalence or the idea that there's, you know, that there's no moral code that we want to share with our children. So, you know, this is, as always, interesting and, and, and thought-provoking and clarifying. All right. Well, the two of us have much more to say, but uh, we're out of time. If you're interested in hearing more, check out our book, A Search for Common Ground, Conversations About the Toughest Questions in K-12 Education. Thanks for listening to Common Ground, Conversations on Schooling, and thanks to our producers, Tracy Shera and Wesley Armstrong. You can subscribe to Common Ground on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, consider leaving us a review, and feel free to let us know what topics you'd like us to discuss by sending an email to podcasts at AEI.org. Thanks for joining. Until next time. Take care, Rick. Take care, bud.